drive. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here to tangle with the Robopocalypse once again because we have Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines on the docket. What a great way to ring in the new year. That's right, that's right. You know, what better way than with a sequel that people consider pretty much inferior to the ones that came before? But not after. <laughs> but that's very much true. I feel like the glow is really on Terminator 3 nowadays, that maybe it wasn't at the time. Well, we'll get to that. We will, we will. But, um, Tony, you know, I think everyone knows the story of Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. You know, those two James Cameron masterpieces. Oh, we've never heard of them. People know them by heart. But do they know the story of Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines? I'm not sure. It. I mean, we'll get to the box office in a little bit, but just in case you haven't seen it, it's about a wayward John Connor who has sadly lost his mother. Judgment Day has been averted, and who should come from the future but a new Terminator out to hunt John Connor and his future lieutenants in order to bring in a new Age of the Machines. And who's there to help him save the day? But none other than the original Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the resistance in the future seems to always capture these Terminators, but it's always the exact same model. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is. That's a good point. Like, what happens if they capture, like, the T-1 that we see later in the movie and have to send that back in time? Yeah, or the T-1000. They just yeah. send him back in a barrel or something like that. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> so, this movie, I remember when it was coming out. I don't think anyone was excited for it. Like, I remember seeing trailers, I remember having a real sense of dread, and I also remember having a bit of an attitude about it. Like, I didn't want this movie because James Cameron didn't make it. I think that might be just be your experience. I remember this movie being uh, heavily hyped, heavily anticipated, mm, and people wanted to see it. I know I was excited to go see it. You didn't have any sort of, you know, irritation that uh, James Cameron wasn't making this movie? I had a little bit of trepidation, maybe. But I remember thinking to myself after uh, Collateral Damage and some of uh, Arnold's late 90s, early 2000s fair that this was Arnold coming back to form and going back to his roots with Terminator and Terminator 2 and this was going to be amazing. I find that fascinating because I remember thinking it was a desperation move. It was like, oh, his last few have done really poorly so we're back with Terminator 3. Oh, James Cameron's not even there. We got Jonathan Mostow coming in. Like, oh, I was really concerned. Like, I remember having real apprehension about seeing this movie. I remember, like, you know, shit-talking it to our friends and everything. And so, you know, we went on... I don't know if it was opening night, but we went opening weekend. And Tony, I enjoyed this movie back in 2003. And so did I, actually. And I did not expect that at all. This was a summer, you know, where you had some real, like, um, <laughs> disappointing fare, like uh, Matrix Reloaded. A sequel that I could not have been more excited for. And I remember walking out of that one being like, Ugh. 
I can't even remember. Was that the second one or the third one? That's the second one, yeah. Still not as maligned as the third one, I don't think, but... uh... No, but, like, I remember the box office fallout from Reloaded to Revolutions was massive. It was like a $100 million difference. Yeah, yeah, the Matrix uh, (laughs) trilogy did kind of tailed off at the end. Yeah, and so, you know, this one was coming, and I just had no hype for it. All my hype that summer was on X2, X-Men United, and... um, and the Matrix, and it was kind of like T3 was an afterthought, and I just remember walking out and just really enjoying the action sequences. Mm-hmm. They were far beyond what I expected. Um, I thought, you know, Arnold was on point. It was a little campy in spots, campier than I would have liked, but I-, I liked the kind of apocalyptic ending. I walked out happy, which is yeah. something that I did not expect. And before we talk about the apocalyptic ending, of course... Spoiler alert, if you happen to be one of the people who haven't seen T3, please do yourself a favor, go out and watch it uh, before listening to this podcast because we will be ruining the movie thoroughly. Uh, If you haven't seen it recently, please do the same, but, you know, you're your own person. (laughs) (laughs) You can follow along and listen to us if you'd like. Now, Tony, what was your experience in the day seeing this movie? I remember... Leaving the movie similar to what you thought. I mean, I was a little bit worried that Cameron wasn't involved. uh, And it had been some time since we'd seen Terminator 2, obviously. I think everybody was. But I remember leaving and having a really great appreciation for the number of large vehicle chases. And just the sheer carnage that this movie laid out. It's not a movie... I do do have some gripes with it. It's tough to um, meet or beat the masterpiece of T2. Or for that matter, even the suspenseful sci-fi horror of terminator one right but what this movie tried to do i think you know i remember thinking at the time that um it did pretty well and i really enjoyed it yeah yeah it's funny like i remember a lot of reviews at the time and i think it has like a 69 percent rotten tomato meter so like you know critics were mostly okay with it like they you know i think there was a lot of three star reviews but i remember a lot of them saying that they were smart with this one to just go the b movie route and just kind of play up the strengths and leave kind of the epic storytelling you know to james cameron well and it's interesting that they call it a b movie mm-hmm. uh given that it's probably the most expensive b movie ever made at the time not even b movie it was the most expensive movie made ever at yeah. the time yeah clocked in i think around 190 million dollars which was a lot of money in 2003 yeah, yeah well you know that's kind of a good seg because yeah the box office on this movie for one that was so expensive was okay like it was not the huge comeback i think arnold was hoping for like it grossed 150 million domestic and then did 283 foreign for a total of 433 like that's pretty good, but these are not the days where Hollywood is like, hurrah for foreign, the way they are now, where like Aquaman is going to hit a billion dollars. Uh, foreign was still climbing up uh, a little bit there. Foreign it was more was... important than in some of the other movies that we've talked about. But the $150 million domestic was a great concern to them, and I think that's why you didn't see, you know, a follow-up shortly after tracing, you know, Nick Stahl's ongoing adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of like, okay, that worked well enough. I guess, but it didn't exactly do gangbusters. Um, it was number eight for the year, and um, it was a pretty strong year. You really notice once you get into the 2000s plus, 
that the uh, top tens look very strong in terms of the blockbusters because so many of them have lived on. Because in the top ten you have at number one you have Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Never heard of it. Yeah. Little movie. I don't think it won any Oscars that year. Independent film. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in second place you have Finding Nemo. In third place, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. The Pirates movie that was good. <laughs> um, in fourth, you had The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, fifth, you had Bruce Almighty with Jim Carrey. A movie that was far bigger than I think people will remember. Yeah, I I don't remember that movie. I think I might have watched it uh, late night on a DVD player or something right. like that. But I don't, I don't remember that movie being a huge deal. But... It was a mega hit. And I mean... That's what launched the Evan Almighty sequel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then in sixth, you had X-Men 2, X-Men United. In seventh, Elf. Uh, eighth, T3, as I said. Ninth, The Matrix Revolutions. So you can see that's quite a few spots below Reloaded. Mm -hmm. And then in tenth place, the Cheaper by the Dozen remake with Steve yeah. Martin. You know, I'd actually forgotten that both Matrix sequels were released in the same year. Yeah, it was like, uh, I think, May and November. Yeah, and I remember the Reloaded ended in that lame uh, sequel bait moment <laughs> where it like scans down a guy's body that's like, to be continued. <laughs> yes. And people are like, ah, I don't give a crap. <laughs> yeah, see you in six months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this movie, not probably the home run they wanted, considering like Terminator 2, you know, over a decade earlier had grossed 520 worldwide. So of the sequels out there, there was obviously Lord of the Rings and the Matrix movies. Um but there had to have been some other garbage farther down the list. There were. I'm glad you asked, actually. Because, you know, Stallone has often had a rivalry with Schwarzenegger and vice versa. He used to be really competitive with box office. Well, that year, Arnold won. Because Stallone was down at number 19 in Spy Kids 3D, playing the villain in that movie. Mm. I don't know if anyone remembers that. I never saw it, I'll be honest. Yeah. In number 45, you had Laura Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Which, to me, is one of the great cautionary tales of Hollywood. Where the original Tomb Raider comes out, no one likes it, but it makes a, quite a bit of money. And they're like, huh, well, let's make a sequel anyway. And no one showed up for the second one. Well, it worked for Transformers. People love that first Transformers, though. <laughs> uh, and then in number 100, I think the most maybe ill-fated sequel of all time, which is saying something considering we've talked about Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas in the past. But Dumb and Dumberer, When Harry Met Lloyd, the Jim Carrey-less sequel to Dumb and Dumber, oh, a prequel. What, what were they thinking? Well, exactly. So yeah, Terminator 3 looked pretty shiny in comparison to those. <laughs> Anytime you can crack the top ten, that's, uh, that's, that's a right. pretty good box office. That's right, yeah. I, although I do think that this movie would have been a little bit uh, more cheaply made had Schwarzenegger backed off on the salary demands a little bit. Well, tell me a bit about that. Uh, well, apparently, you, you weren't the only one that was a little bit worried about James Cameron not being involved. Uh, Schwarzenegger was a little worried. He didn't want to do it without James Cameron. Apparently, this is the scuttlebutt, James Cameron just said, you know what, this character is as much, as much yours as it is mine. Uh, fill your boots, but make sure you ask for a lot of money and hmm. see if they'll give it to you. And they did. <laughs> <laughs> His salary demand... Uh, apparently, uh, this what I could find on the internet was twenty nine and a half million dollars. Whoa! Plus twenty percent of the uh, box office profits after it broke even. Um, so did it break even then? Um, yeah, <laughs> apparently it did. His his contract. I was I was reading a little bit about it. I couldn't actually find a copy of it online. I don't know. 
Um, but apparently it was uh, over 30 pages long, included demands for, well, there was a $1.5 million allocation for private jets, a, <laughs> a dedicated, fully equipped gym trailer, a three-bedroom suite on-site, just the, you know, the kind of brown M&M demands that you would expect out of a, a celebrity coming back for another uh, a reunion tour, basically. So, do you think Arnold was passionate about making this movie? I don't know. If you gave me $30 million, I'd be passionate about just about anything you sure, want. Sure, but would, do you think this was like a movie he truly believed in or one where he thought he could make a lot of money? Certainly he felt he could make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> we keep circling back to that. But, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't I haven't read a lot about how Schwarzenegger actually felt getting into this movie. Um, I mean, I know he has a lot of attachment to uh, the Terminator character right but yeah i don't know and i mean this is obviously a film that spent years in development hell the, the terminator rights went back and forth to one party or another after Corolco went bankrupt right yeah with cutthroat island right cutthroat island i think showgirls was somehow tied yeah, up yeah, yeah. in that as well i we, think there was another one wasn't there something else that was a big bomb but yeah, yeah. We, we talked a little bit about the demise of Corolco on some of our previous episodes the forgotten or lost Schwarzenegger projects that were never got made. Yeah, I think if you listen to that episode of the podcast, we go into Carolco a lot more. Yeah, and so, but you got to think that Schwarzenegger was uh, cheering this thing along uh, in the various stages, and obviously at some point he's juggling. You know, he's considering going for running for governor of California. He ultimately puts this off in order to make this movie, um, and. You know, and take a big payday, and I, I don't know what his attachment to the actual project mm-hmm. was, though. But uh, I gotta believe it was high. So, what was the deal with the rights to Terminator? Because yeah, Carol Co goes under, and so like, what was going on? Because I remember at the time there was so much being in the like going on in the film press about what was going on with the rights to Terminator. Like James Cameron was interested in buying them. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, I mean, kind of put me in the spot. I haven't done my homework on this totally but uh if i remember james cameron and 20th century fox had some kind of bid in for somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 million that's my memory as well james cameron wanted to buy it and then some other company came in and put in a higher bid but the rights to terminator were somehow divided and then bought back for seven or eight million and and they just you know the rights to a property like this just kind of get juggled around sometimes sold for what seems like astronomical amounts of money and other yeah. times traded for um you know a, a, beans yeah a, a creased rookie card of some kind right? <laughs> for a <laughs> for a donald rumsfeld pog <laughs> um, right and um you know i believe with every terminator movie from this point forward they all have a different company putting them out. Like, mm-hmm. it gets really crazy where, like, a company that absorbs Terminator goes out of business. It just passes it along. And, you know, James Cameron finally has the rights back. We're going to see a new Terminator movie in 2019 produced by James Cameron that, you know, I'm I'm interested to see it. And Arnold's back in that one as well. And Linda Hamilton as well. I can't wait. And they're ignoring this movie, <laughs> Terminator 3. And that's up to them. I mean, we've seen that a lot recently. Yeah, Halloween recently. Yeah, yeah, where they just kind of ignore this. They don't ignore the sequels, but they just say that's not what we want to do. Right. We're going to take it from where we actually want to take it off from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had a question for you. When this movie comes out, how familiar are you with Jonathan Mostow, the director? 
Not at all. I, to be honest, I'm still not that familiar with Jonas, Jonathan Mostow. I was thinking, let's just go down a list of his credits because he doesn't have a lot. I'm just curious, you know, if you've seen them or what you thought of them. So his big debut was in Beverly Hills Body Snatchers, a movie I have never seen. I've never seen that. He then did in 1997 the Kurt Russell thriller Breakdown, which featured him trying to find his wife, uh, who's played by Kathleen Quinlan, I think. Did you, did you ever see this movie? I did see that movie, but if you were to ask me anything about it, yeah. uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I remember thinking it was okay. Like, I didn't really have strong opinions about it whatsoever. J.T. Walsh was the bad guy, though, and he was memorable. And I think his death was amazing. If you don't want to watch the movie Breakdown, just Google J.T. Walsh's death in Breakdown. <laughs> it's worth it. Um, and then he followed that up with U571, the submarine movie with Matthew McConaughey. I did see that. It seemed like the early 2000s uh, was... Uh, I'm hoping U571 was early 2000s. Yeah. But it seems like it was a popular time for submarine movies. The late 90s and early 2000s. I remember really enjoying this movie in theaters. And uh, I'd be curious if I would feel the same way now. <laughs> yeah, join us for another episode. Bonus footage, maybe. Yeah. Then he does Terminator 3. And then he goes on to do the sci-fi thriller Surrogates. Uh, you want to call it a thriller. <laughs> Who was it? Was Bruce Willis? It was Bruce it? Willis, yeah. It was not good. No, it wasn't very good. And it just had like Bruce Willis with CG face the whole time. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, and then uh, I can't remember if he did anything after that. He did a movie called The Hunter's Prayer with Sam Worthington. I think it went straight to video or straight to DVD because I've never heard of it. So this is a really weird entry for Jonathan Mostow to go from, you know, I mean, there's some relatively high profile projects. Yeah. on that list but is this this uh, is a peak yeah it's kind of strange like is this really the guy that you want to have making the most expensive movie ever made this feels to me the way they make blockbusters now today where it's like you had one independent film great can you direct you know <laughs> this movie that costs like 200 million dollars they're doing it constantly now mm -hmm. whereas i don't feel that was as much the case in the early 2000s i mean you'd get the odd deals where you know like peter jackson doing lord of the rings right you know without really any hits under his name he'd done the frighteners at that point but and i guess the wachowskis doing the matrix mm -hmm. after bound but the Mostow one is curious because you have arnold schwarzenegger attached you're following james cameron and i can't help but wonder how much of that was because a Mostow has shown he's technically competent mm -hmm. he can do the tech part and b Schwarzenegger is going to be able to call the shots on this guy. Well, that it's funny you mentioned that. Just going back to Schwarzenegger's contract, apparently that was a clause that was written in there. In, in addition to the usual, I'll get paid whether this movie gets made or not. Yeah. Uh, he had full control over selection of various personnel, including the director. I think probably, you know, his hairdresser, his driver, uh, <laughs> his bodyguards. Catering. Yeah, literally. Yeah, he, he, Schwarzenegger had a lot of control over the personnel in this film, including Mostow, is my understanding. Is that a good thing? Well, it's, I mean, we can... Yeah, maybe we should just get into it. Yeah, I mean, once we get into it, we'll figure out if it's a good thing yeah, or not yeah, pretty yeah. quick. I mean, okay, do you want to go first? What did you think this time around watching Terminator 3? I had similar feelings, to be honest. It, it doesn't hold a candle to Terminator 2 or, for that matter, Terminator 1. Right. But... Does it try? Uh, no, it doesn't really. It's a different kind of movie, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, I, I do have some some issues with it. I, I felt like it could have been a little bit more tense in places. I thought that 
the places where they used humor was sometimes misplaced. Yeah. But as far as the action set pieces go, I mean, the it's basically a big chase scene with some wooden dialogue interspersed <laughs> throughout it. Um, you know, the characters aren't great. They're okay. Does Nick Stahl not have the most thankless job <laughs> in a blockbuster. Uh, he's just kinda... a joyless performance, and it's not his fault. Yeah, no, it's not not Nick Stahl's fault. But I mean, as far as the you know, like the vehicle chases and the gunfights and the uh, the other action set pieces, they're all I think pretty entertaining. Yeah, the crane chase in this is incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I felt the same way really. Um, I enjoyed it again, but I think this time I really began to. I know even at the time when I saw this movie, it was very clear that it was <laughs> pretty much a remake of Terminator 2. And I guess you could say the same thing about Terminator 2 being a remake of the original Terminator. But I feel like the shift in tone between the first to the second is very significant. The first one feels more stripped down, you know, kind of like a slasher horror feel, mm-hmm. much scarier. Whereas Terminator 2 is much more this big, bombastic action movie, you know, state-of-the-art tech really pushing forward what you can do in a movie that's like a chase movie like this. Whereas, like, this one I feel like is saying, how do we do Terminator 2? Like, it doesn't feel like it's trying to be its own kind of entity or, you know, evolve the Terminator franchise into maybe a slightly different genre. It feels like Terminator 2. Yeah, it's definitely closer to Terminator 2 than Terminator 2 was to the first Terminator movie. Yeah, and I think you can see that in the structure and that, like, this movie... And this is going to sound like a really negative comparison, and I don't mean it to be negative. I'll kind of explain myself in a second. But it kind of feels like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's pretty negative. That is very negative. (laughs) But the thing is, when you compare Crystal Skull to Last Crusade, you know, you lay one on top of the other, you realize Crystal Skull is a total remake of, um, of Last Crusade. And you can see why it doesn't work, because if you line up the elements, you go, oh, well, that didn't work there but it worked in that one and why didn't it work? You know, it all makes sense when you really look at those two side by side. Sure. Whereas like this one, I think it works far better than Crystal Skull does in the indie franchise. Um, But when you put it next to Terminator 2, you can line all the various elements up and it's like some things work really well, but the things that don't work stand out that much more because you've seen them done better in the previous movie. Yeah, there is something to be said for that. I'd I'd agree with that. Um, The other place, if there, you know, if there is one thing that, uh, and I can't remember if I had an issue with it at the time or not. Um, whereas, and we talked about this in our Terminator 2 episode, where even though the CG uh, yeah. in some places looks dated in Terminator 2, it's never unpleasantly dated. It always kind of fits with the movie, and it doesn't... It looks false. It looks like you're watching, you know, a film. Right. But it doesn't... What? I thought I was watching a documentary. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's right. <laughs> but it, it, But it doesn't make you think oh i'm watching somebody's computer generated animation whereas there's a few places in terminator 3 where um for all the practical effects that are in this movie yeah the the cg in some places takes away from those well like t2 arrives at the dawn of the cg age Mm -hmm. this movie lands smack dab in the cg age especially at that point where filmmakers were like we can do anything with cg even though at that point they couldn't and so you saw a lot of movies. This one's not the exception. Like, you saw a lot of movies in this era just throwing CG at the wall when they couldn't do it properly. Like, you remember, was it the, the day after tomorrow? Like, the CG wolves? Yeah, you know, I got, a, like that. I got a soft spot in my heart sure. for the day after tomorrow. But 
one thing, one thing I will say about this film is where they do use the CG is they are at least smart enough to use it sparingly in terms of the length of the cuts. Right. There aren't too many long cuts of um, you know animated Terminators doing backflips on trains. And yeah, that kind of thing. they don't focus on them. Yeah, which a lot of movies would at that point in time. They see, yeah, they seem to use them well, more to enhance enhance scenes that are already happening rather than make them a scene into unto themselves. Well, look at that exact summer. You know, two months earlier or a month earlier than this movie comes out, you get The Matrix Reloaded, right. which focuses on the CG. Remember the big scene of all the Agent Smiths fighting Neo? Yes. Where it's just like a sea of CG faces, and the camera is like focusing on them. And this movie is super smart to not do that and to recognize its limitations. And yeah, you're right. There are a few moments where you go, mm, like, you know, just a random one off the top of my head is, you know, we see at the end Arnie um, basically broken down, you know, his human shell is basically worn off and it looks like Arnie in CG face. Whereas like you look at the makeup of Terminator 2, it looks incredible at the end where he's torn apart. You mean you're talking about the part where there's like a part of his head missing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like that shot looks amazing in T2 with makeup. But in here, eh, it's a little glowy. Although I will say, you know, and we'll get into it, the, you know, the makeup and the effects generally in this movie, it's uh, Stan Winston again, I think is pretty heavily involved in these. I'm not sure who was doing the computer stuff, mm-hmm. but I know what you mean. And uh, I know what I mean. And hopefully the listeners know <laughs> what we mean. Uh, the The CG does, in some places, take away. But I will say, in some places, it does add. Right, right, right. Um, so I'm curious, what did you think of this tact on making a Terminator 3? I think it's easy to say, you know, what would James Cameron have done if he directed this movie? I think you have to realize, if James Cameron had made Terminator 3, it would not look anything like this. At all. I don't think James Cameron would have had the exact same template as the previous two, with, you know, John Connor as basically these in the Sarah Connor role. I think he would have done something quite different. Uh, he probably would have put the Terminator on an ill-fated cruise ship that runs into an <laughs> iceberg. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, this movie, because it's following T2 so closely, like, I don't think it's anything like James Cameron would have made. But like, what did you think of this tact of making a Terminator sequel like this? Was it diminishing returns, do you think, at this point? Because you're seeing it the third time through, or does it still work? Well, I don't necessarily agree with you. I think the no. tone is the same for Terminator 3 as it maybe is for Terminator 2, yeah. where it's close to it. There's a whole lot here that I think is is quite a bit different from Terminator 2. They're adding a little bit more to the mythology. They're explaining, uh, without hitting you, hitting you over the face with it, some of the you know the different factions of the humans and showing you a little bit behind the curtain of Skynet. You mean uh, Cyberdyne? Cyberdyne. <laughs> Where you have the Dyson character. That's right, yeah. Who also dies. <laughs> Correct. Uh, <laughs> Robert Brewster is basically that character. Well, we got to see the early model Terminators. That was pretty cool. I did like that a lot, yes. They look like they're from Chopping Mall. <laughs> they do, actually. <laughs> that's a good throw out. I think that's... Uh, was that a Roger Corman production? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a fun movie. If you haven't seen Chopping Mall, see if you can find it somewhere, folks. <laughs> But I think, like, I don't know, to me this movie does feel like Terminator 2 because you have so much of the similar setups where it's like, you know, grabbing these characters, pulling them frantically into a chase scene and having the Terminator explain things along the way. You stop at key spots for characters to have quote-unquote tender human moments. The chase continues. 
you know, they wind up in a big complex at the end. It's, I don't know, it feels very similar. You have this Dyson slash Brewster character. Yeah, I think we're in agreement <laughs> that there are a lot of similarities between the movie, yeah. uh, between the two movies. But maybe where we disagree is that they're not the same movie and you, sure. you think that they are. I think they're very similar. <laughs> but I mean, there is the interesting angle, I think, in this. And I'm asking, like, what did you think of the idea of continuing the story of John Connor? Like, did it work for you? I think so. I mean, what else are you going to do, really? You, yeah. I mean, you could take it to the future, which I guess they did in um, Terminator Salvation. Mm-hmm. and Or you could take it back to the past and then forward into the future and then back again. I still haven't seen Genesis, but yeah. that's what I kind of gather from talking to people. It's kind of about... Yeah, that's, no, that's quite accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I like this too. Uh, I think this was the smart way to go about it. If you're going to do a Terminator 3. And I think Nick Stahl is actually quite good. It's just that this is a such a thankless role. You feel bad for him because everyone else gets to have a certain amount of fun except him. Yeah, he definitely does not uh, have an easy job in this movie. Just kind of complaining about one thing or another <laughs> and running away from one thing or another without ever really getting any good lines. Yeah, no, it's and no like really cool action moments. No one he knows really dies ever, so he doesn't even get to cry and show off his chops as an actor. Claire Danes, she gets to cry so many times in this movie. Yeah, like, she's the one on the journey in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you really look at it, John Connor, I mean, I guess he goes from, like, off-the-grid kind of loner to being a leader. To off, there is no grid leader. Yeah, to there is no grid leader. <laughs> but, I mean... It doesn't feel like the journey that uh, the Kate Brewster character gets to go on. And Kate Brewster is an interesting character because this is a total retcon character. (laughs) And then we are going to rewrite the mythologies to introduce this new character who, because Linda Hamilton (laughs) isn't uh, available or we didn't get her, that we're going to go this route. But I actually think she's good. Like, I actually like Claire Danes in this and I like the Kate Brewster character. Oh, Claire Danes is usually pretty pretty dependable. I mean, she's got, what, a jillion Golden Globes? Yeah, for Homeland, yeah. Homeland, and then she, before this, she was she had done, I think she was best known at this point for probably My So-Called Life. Yeah, I remember at the time, though, being surprised she was in this, because she'd done, like, I think Broke Down Palace in 1999, and then, like, a couple small roles, but hadn't done a lot. She'd done Romeo and Juliet. That was still 96. That's like It felt like she kind of petered out. I know what you and mean. And then she, she was, showed back up in this, and I was surprised. She was kind of a teen star yeah. uh, who, who then showed up in this. But all the stuff she had done before and since then, I mean, it's tough to find something where she's not very good in. No, totally. And I think she gets to have a lot of fun physical comedy in this. Like, her character's not all laughs or anything. But, you know, she has a lot of, I think, fun with, like, the uh, when she's being, you know, captured by Schwarzenegger. And she gets scenes where she's like dives out of a car and he tosses her back or something like that. Like you can tell that they're having a little bit of fun with this, which is something that John Connor doesn't get to do. <laughs> no, John Connor is no. He's just kind of along for the ride yeah. in some ways. I mean, I mean, a big part of the movie is about stopping Judgment Day and about you know free will and determinism, and we can change the future. Yeah. And then I mean that's John Connor's personality basically in right. this movie is uh, I don't have a purpose because we averted Judgment Day. Judgment Day might be coming again. We better try and avert it again. But you can't. And him coming to the realization that you can't avoid fate. Right. I guess it's just not as much fun to play, like, reluctant hero. Because the whole time you're trying to not be the hero. Whereas, like, you know, you look at Linda Hamilton. When she comes back for round two, she gets to play badass. 
who maybe doesn't want anything to do with Terminators, but is more than ready to strap, you know, her guns on and go to war. Whereas, like, the guy who's like, I want no part of this, I want no part of this, that's not something that's fun to play, especially one who's, like, world-weary. Whereas, like, Claire Danes gets to play someone who's just wide-eyed, has no idea what's going on, which is more fun. Yeah, if there is one place where, now you mention it, where this movie... It is noticeable without a Kyle Reese or a Sarah Connor. Yeah. Uh, you know, you really get a sense of just how important those two characters are for pushing a story like this forward. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, I guess when you really look at it, I hadn't really thought about this, actually. But, like, yeah, in the first one, Kyle Reese is very much like your... He's probably, like, the most magnetic character in the movie, would you say? Probably, yeah. Yeah, and then in the second one, it's Linda Hamilton, because she's kind of grown into this, you know, warrior woman, and she's just so charismatic on screen. You don't really have that in this movie. Like, in theory, you probably want it to be John Connor, but I wouldn't say that Nick Stahl is, like, hugely charismatic, mostly because of the way the character is written. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have a little bit of a vacuum where you want that badass human character. You want the hero. Yeah. Yeah, because the Terminator, while, you know, a hero himself, isn't the relatable hero. You want the relatable hero. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess you can relate to, say, Kate Brewster, who's definitely just, like, stunned by everything that's going on around her. And you can totally put yourself in her shoes. But she's not someone who gets those kind of badass moments you get a certain, you know, thrill out of. Well, these heroes, that's, that's the thing, is neither Kate Brewster nor John Connor in this movie really accomplish anything right yeah no it's true right they're not successful at anything that they try and do uh where they try and get away they're caught right where they try and save her dad they fail yeah where they try and stop judgment day the world is ended does he okay she gets that moment where she guns down the hunter killer the mini hunter killer in the hallway um which is like you know her big action moment in the movie does he get one I'm nope. racking my brain. Does he get any cool moments? I don't think so, no. You keep waiting for the cool moment to come with him putting together C4 plastic explosives yeah. or him pointing guns that you know in every direction you can find, but uh, it all comes to naught. Nothing ever happens from it. I guess he has a couple moments like shooting at the Terminatrix. I guess you get that. Unsuccessfully. Yes, unsuccessfully. And he also does the... Is he the one that turns on the magnet? I guess he does. He does turn on the particle accelerator. I guess that's something. It's, but, not, it's not a thrilling thing to watch someone punch a button, though. No, it's it's not really. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's a little bit of a vacuum here, and it's no knock on Nick Stahl or Claire Danes. I, I actually think um, Nick Stahl's a pretty underrated actor in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, and they do, I think they do a, a pretty good job with the material that they have, but this movie doesn't really have a hero. It's got, you know, these three focal characters with the Terminator, John Connor and kate brewster yeah but no real um nothing really to drive the movie forward right yeah no i agree i mean i guess the terminator is the one that drives it forward because ultimately he's the one that knows everything that's going on throughout this story Mm -hmm. and he's very good about not spoiling big twists (laughs) he waits till the key moments to do it He's very respectful that way, that Terminator. Yeah, well, you know what? And we'll we'll get to Arnold yeah. in a moment, I think. Obviously, this is Arnie Geddon. Sure. Um, now, 
what did you think in terms of filling like the the strong female character void? Right. Uh, what did you think about bringing in Kristana Loken as the TX? I'm of mixed feelings on this one. I think Kristana Loken does everything she can. I think she's you know physically up to the job. There's scenes where she's having fistfights with Schwarzenegger and it works. Like I don't feel like it looks ridiculous. I think she is just fine with the job she has. I do have a bit of an issue, I guess for a couple of reasons. I guess number one, when we saw the transition from the Arnold Schwarzenegger villain Terminator to the Robert Patrick one, it felt like a radical shift. Like you were seeing this kind of lumbering monster coming after Sarah Connor versus this like sleek, you know, really like stealthy figure. Well, I think I think with the analogy that James Cameron used was mm-hmm. a, you know, the Sherman tank as opposed to a a race car or something sure like that. yeah yeah and i remember robert patrick said he thought of the t-1000 as a shark mm-hmm. um with christina loken i don't pick up a real sense of difference between her and the t-1000 in terms of her behavior it's that similar kind of sleek stealthy attitude like i don't know how you shift it but i don't feel like they really tried yeah i mean where they did shifted i guess is in her abilities and in the physical threat that she presents and i don't know about you um i mean there are some things that i thought were really cool yeah and and worked and other things that that really didn't yep so i'm curious what uh, what did work for you well i really liked for example the way she would contort her body in fights i thought that was pretty cool there's a scene where she kills kate brewster's fiance and she's sitting on a bed and she turns around in this really creepy way. And it actually reminded me of... Do you remember the movie Mars Attacks? Yeah, I do. Do you remember when the alien goes into the White House as a like like a sexy woman to seduce uh, Martin Short? And she's <laughs> walking very strange? That's the way that Christina Loken looks turning around on this bed. Like, it reminded me so much of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it cuts away. It makes that buzzsaw sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that the... the the buzzsaw in her hand was was pretty cool. I don't know how I feel about it as an ability in a robot. Yeah. The the, uh, the nanobots that control other vehicles. But if it gets us to fire truck versus crane versus uh, hearse versus every other vehicle on the road, I'm willing to put up with it. Yeah. But the the plasma weapon and the flamethrower I found. Uh, didn't really work and if anything took away from some of the tension in the movie because it um moved it away from the uh, the suspenseful you know i won't say realism but yeah you could kind of believe that it could happen in terminator 2 i agree 100 percent on that because yeah when you have the t-1000 turning his hands into like crowbars or knives like there's something very very scary about that a plasma weapon isn't scary like, I, I just go, okay, I mean, it's whatever, who cares? And I think that's an issue in that I get that they want to upgrade that this is the latest Terminator, but you can go too far. We talked when we did The Predator, and we said, like, the Predator isn't scary when he's bigger. Like, a big Predator is not somehow scarier. Right. And that's how I feel with this Terminatrix, where it's like, Christina Loken is, like, she's doing a good job physically. She has that intense look. I believe her as this killer robot. So Apparently she went to mime school for this role. <laughs> I'm serious. Is that why they always kept trapping her in a box? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she should have just pulled them closer with her invisible <laughs> rope. <laughs> but 
Like, I believe her 100% in this regard, so I don't have any problems there. But, like, when she starts, like, using her abilities to create, like, weapons out of her arms, I kind of go, well, now we've entered fantasy land. Yeah, I remember actually thinking about this the first time I saw this movie. Um, when she, her plasma cannon has been disabled, and I was yeah. already kind of, all right, yeah. I'm not really into the plasma cannon. And she cycles through the weapons in her that are in her armory, and she decides on the flamethrower. Yeah. And all I could think was, you know, the the nanobots again I can put up with, but you know, where is the fuel for right. this flamethrower that she's using? <laughs> right. Maybe that uh, that power cell in the in her spine. I don't know. I guess so. Does yeah. she have one of those? I don't even know. But um, no, like you know, there's a moment in this movie. Where she, like, rams her fist through a car, you know, seat through the guy who's driving the car, the police officer. Yeah. That, to me, is far scarier than any of these buzzsaw weapons or plasma rifles. Oh, the buzzsaw was okay. Eh, it's okay, but, but it's, it a, little, it's it, a step too far. It I wasn't think. as good as the knives. It was not, a step, no, to, it was a step too far, but wasn't a step as far as a plasma cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, I, I agree. Like, it, it, the, the saw is better, but... Uh, no, like, the fist moment to me is genuinely, like, scary and gross and awesome. That's the kind of stuff I think they should have stuck with. But I think they did really, really run into trouble because you look at what the T-1000 is. I don't know how you improve upon that. Like, that is the ultimate badass in Terminators. Like, I just don't know how you do something cooler. And having one that's part robot with liquid metal on it is not an improvement. Well, it is if it has a plasma cannon. I guess so. <laughs> and also, that exoskeleton is not as cool as the uh, like the T eight hundred exoskeleton. Not even close. No, it's not. It's definitely the 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 T eight hundred or the T one hundred one, whichever. Yeah, what's with that? I'm pretty sure one of them is the model number and one of them is the series number or something like that. Okay. Okay. Sure. But uh, I was never totally clear on how they right. how they number their Terminators. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to get back to the nanobots thing um, because I actually like that aspect. The idea that this one can control other machines, maybe they should have just stuck with that. Kept, like, stripped away the stuff like the, you know, the the phaser cannons and whatever and the flamethrowers and just had the ability to control other machines and done more with that. Like, I think that's enough of a novelty on its own that they could have played that up. I agree with you, uh, 100%. I don't think they needed the plasma cannon. I don't think they needed the flamethrowers. Yeah. Uh, they... It's not like it really ever amounts to that much. Well, you know, uh, the poor Arnold Schwarzenegger does get his head pretty <laughs> marshmallow That's roasted. That's true. That's true. They've got to always come up with a way to melt one side of his face, don't they? <laughs> yeah, and to injure his left leg. <laughs> but what did you think of, like, the fist fights with, with her? Like, seeing these Terminators fight each other. I actually love this. That This is something... And there's some retcons to Terminator lore that I'm going to get to that I don't like. But I actually really like that this movie plays up like the weight of them. Which is something we didn't... We saw it in, T, uh, in Terminator 2. Like when mm -hmm. him and Robert Patrick are throwing each other through the walls. But they could never do it this way in the past. Where you just have them slamming each other through walls and through toilets and all that sort of stuff. I know it's kind of cartoony, but I love it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I have no problem with it. I didn't like it as much as the Robert Patrick, right. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger fight in Terminator 2. I mean, that one's better directed. But I do enjoy this. Like, it's so over-the-top wild that I love it. Like, I like that they didn't just go halfway. They were like, you know what? Let's just stage the ultimate Terminator fist fight. 
yeah, you know, set guys, come on in. Uh, you know, we need you to build this set for uh, three weeks so we can destroy it in 30 yeah. minutes. But even, like, there's a moment where it's during the crane chase where Arnold is hanging on the crane and she's swinging the arm around trying to knock him off. And he hits a car and the car flips over from the weight of him. Mm-hmm. And that's a little detail that I absolutely loved because it gives you a real sense of how heavy a Terminator is. And there's also the point where the firemen are trying to lift him and they can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a funny scene. Like, that's something that I like that this movie adds to the Terminators. I mean, sure, it was always there in the past, but they never played it up in the past. Yeah, so, I mean, we've, we've talked about, and I think it's probably the scene that people remember the most when they think about Terminator 3 is the... The big crane yeah. scene uh, slash fire truck slash yeah. cop cars, um, you know, basically where you know where the budget was spent, or at least a big part of it. It was nominated for an MTV Movie Award. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> did not win. <laughs> really? Yeah, it didn't win that year. Well, the MTV Movie—they're they're a hard nut to crack. I mean, it's probably go. I, I don't. I didn't look up who won, but I'm guessing it was probably the big battle in Return of the King. You're probably right, actually. Yeah. I mean, Lord of the Rings was a that was a tough one to. I mean, you look at, you probably had some competition, because that's the same year as well as the Nightcrawler scene, the opening of X2, which is also amazing. Yeah, yeah, you're so, right. You know, it was a tight was competition. A, that was a big year for special effects. It was, yeah. I mean, the thing is, about this truck chase, it's incredible, but it's not quite Terminator 2, the, the chase there down the storm, what is it, storm drain or whatever it's called? Oh, the uh, the drainage ditch. Yeah, the down the drainage ditch, like yeah, down, uh, down the down the storm ditch or the drainage ditch, whatever whatever it is they surfed on and escaped from L.A. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it's not quite that good. So like, you give that one the award, but maybe this one's a little under that. Okay, so I got to ask you: in two thousand and three, who had the better car chase scene? Was it Terminator Three, or was it Matrix Reloaded? You know what? I feel like the popular opinion is to say Matrix Reloaded. But I think I might say Terminator 3. Yeah. The Terminator 3 one is one I actually have rewatched multiple times versus the Matrix <laughs> one, which I've seen once. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at least to the best of my memory, I enjoy, you know, the Terminator 3 one a lot more. I, people, I think people remember Terminator 3 more fondly than they do Matrix Reloaded. I think you're right. I, I don't think that's incorrect. Uh, especially since two other Terminator movies have come out. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, you know what? That Terminator 3 was really something cool. So, okay, we've mentioned the car chase scene. Uh, We mentioned the um, Terminators fighting each other hand-to-hand. Yeah. Were there any other action set pieces in this movie that you liked? Um, I don't know that there's any other major set pieces that I go, wow, that was fantastic. But, like, there's little bits to them. Like, I love the moment where Schwarzenegger comes out carrying the coffin yeah it was good. you know full of weapons and all <laughs> the cops are shooting about that one yeah. yeah like it's awesome it's really cool visually just to see him doing that it's kind of pulled back from greatness a bit because you know we see his like cpu computer whatever vision saying that you know the human casualty zero which just makes you go oh yeah they did that in terminator 2 <laughs> yeah, there is that. You know, sometimes they do that. They'll have a really cool moment, and then they'll remind you of Terminator 2, and you're like, oh yeah, that was a cool movie. I did like that scene as well, because we got to see a, a throwback to Dr. Silverman, yes. played by Earl Bowen. Who's... Right, friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we were, I think, unfairly hard on Earl Bowen in our uh, Terminator, one Terminator episode. Terminator yeah. episode. Um, but... He, he's back. He's uh, I can't recall if he's been in any of the other Terminator movies. 
I am um, not sure. We're going to find out going forward, I suppose. We've still got a couple more to review. Yeah, yeah. But certainly he was in the first two. Yep. It was yeah. good to see him there again. What did you think of his cameo? Was it too much? No, I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. I think my favorite moment is nothing to do with anything he says. <laughs> because, you know, he's going on about, like, how they can make you think you've seen crazy things. Insane things. That's not my favorite part. My favorite part is when Schwarzenegger comes out and Earl Bone just turns and runs and you see him in the distance running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Was that Earl Bone or was it a stunt double? That was definitely Earl Bowen. He liked a pure Bowen. Well, I don't know if the running was Earl Bowen. I don't know if Earl Bowen's really known for his uh, athletic sprinting abilities. And if you look, he got seventh billing in this movie. Really? Yeah, he's rising up in the world. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He's right after the guy who played Kate Brewster's boyfriend. <laughs> slash fiance. Which, just a sec, that just makes me remember like a fun little moment earlier in the movie where she's like, with her fiance, this poor dumb sap. And they're like shopping for Ikea furniture or something. And then her dad calls. And she kind of just turns her back and she's talking to her dad. And her dad says something like, oh, I can't believe you're getting married. And she's like, yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, poor stupid Scott standing there getting ready to buy things for his dream home with this future wife. And I'm like, God, God help me if that's me one day. (laughs) Someone's like just turning their back and being like... God help me. <laughs> yeah. And then waking you up at five in the morning to go do cat surgery or <laughs> whatever it is she does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, getting back to some of the some of the action moments that I really liked, I, I really liked how they would have the, t- the Terminatrix get just, like, wailed by, like, you know, whether it's a rocket or, you know, Schwarzenegger hitting her with a car or something. Like, it really <laughs> emphasized more than ever... How unstoppable a Terminator is, how you can just completely blow them through a tombstone or, you know, run them down in a truck and they still just keep on going. It's a little cartoonish, but it's fun to watch. Yeah, if I do have an issue with any of the action, it is the cartoonish aspect. Yeah. Because that is generally where they brought in the CG. So there's not too many, but there's a couple places where the um, the body physics are maybe a little loose. Sure. Gravity's not quite as heavy as it is here on Earth. It's like Blade 2 syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the helicopters are maybe a little shinier than they would be against a real blue sky. Sure, yeah. So, um, but by and large, yeah, I I agree with you. What about the climax for you? Like, how did you feel about this? Where you've got this whole bunker area where um, the uh, tech company CRS, which is, you know, becoming Skynet... uh, this whole action sequence in there did it work for you was it exciting or was it kind of like eh, it was fine the early terminator models whatever they were the t1s yeah uh those worked for me even though they looked like you know a cross between daleks and uh, short circuit <laughs> and short circuit yeah <laughs> um and the uh the hunter killers i was okay with but they they were maybe a little bit uh, a little bit glossed over on the computer screen yeah um, but by and large, I thought it was a pretty good scene. Yeah, what did you think of the character of Robert Brewster? To me, like, Miles Dyson, probably the most unheralded character in Terminator 2, where, like, Joe Morton is amazing in that role. His death yeah. scene is heartbreaking. <laughs> and that whole scene where, like, Linda Hamilton is shooting up his house, and he's just, like, having this, like, complete breakdown out of fear. Like, I think Joe Morton's amazing in that movie, and that character just... I feel so bad every time I see the movie and he dies. But not so much for uh, Brewster? Yeah, like, how'd you feel about Brewster? Was he kind of like the flat, kind of, you know, one-note guy? 
he was kind of i mean it's probably a good opportunity i had some questions about brewster and where he works so this yes is, so robert brewster Catherine brewster's dad uh is working at cyber research systems which is some kind of a defense contractor working with the u.s um department of defense i guess and yeah. Whatever it is, I mean, they have obviously. I mean, they have a particle accelerator. They some of they have some of the most advanced uh, experimental weaponry in the world. Right. Uh, they apparently have the ability to turn over control of the entire world's electronic systems to an artificial intelligence of yeah. some kind. And we should say, yeah, because Skynet's secretly started a virus. That the only way to stop the virus that they think is to shut down all of their defenses. Yeah. So. You'd think this place would be pretty heavily guarded, and you think it would be run by pretty top minds. Yeah. And, you know, Robert Brewster, no no offense to him, but he kind of strikes me as a, a middle manager type. Not really the guy with his finger over the uh, yes button in the do you want to give control to Skynet question. Yeah, and he's played by David Andrews, and he just he feels like just kind of a flat military guy to me. Like, he doesn't feel like someone who's the mastermind of this project. No, and, and then with a CRS in general, I thought it was quite humorous. They didn't really explain. Um, so this is in the middle, I guess, of a world electronic shutdown or collapse. Yeah. This is a tense moment. He has received a direct call from the Pentagon. And you have um, off-the-grid possible junkie, uh, John Connor, and his and you know Robert Brewster's daughter yeah. running into the control room yeah. with um, you know known serial killer <laughs> maniac the Terminator right uh, saying no stop yeah this is a movie I feel like to its benefit this movie moves very quickly so that it stops you from thinking about the problems <laughs> yeah it's kind of the J.J. Abrams scenario which he always falls back on you know you watch like force awakens and there's like little things in that movie where you're like wait what but then he just keeps you barreling forward same with uh star trek 2009 yeah yeah no you're right i mean i don't have too big a beef with it i mean this is obviously primarily an action movie not a how did people get into a building movie yeah so it's okay but as far as um as far as david andrews goes not a huge problem i don't know if he really brings anything special to the robert brewster role um i thought his his death scene in some ways was kind of anticlimactic and it's a little bit community theaterish yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like you know gasping and telling you where to go and then you know seeing some version of i've always loved you before expiring dramatically i can smell the lilacs of spring once again <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> okay let's go to the particle accelerator well i'm glad you you know seg there because you know one of the great great elements of any terminator movie one of my favorite parts really is the ultimate comeuppance of how they stop the terminator you know like the big moment where they you know crush it in the you know in the the i don't know compactor in the first one or the big um <laughs> iron smelting <laughs> plant in terminator 2 what did you think of the ultimate showdown with the Terminatrix? I remember in theaters feeling it was really anticlimactic. Yeah, and again, that goes that goes to the fact that um, you know neither John Connor nor Kate Brewster 
at any point had any impact in slowing the Terminators down. It was all Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, you know, I I did enjoy the fact that you know they're they're trying to open up this this bunker, mm-hmm. and the TX comes in in a helicopter, and you think, oh no, what are they going to do? And then you know Arnold Schwarzenegger with his head reattached, yeah, comes in in a bigger helicopter and yeah. and crushes her. But I don't think that was the best action. No action piece in the movie where, where they're getting in a fight basically underneath a pneumatic blast door that's crushing them down. Yes, and this is where we get a little bit of retconning with the hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah, that are inside the Terminator One uh, One Hundred One. I got some questions about the hydrogen fuel cells. Yes, why would you have a fuel source in a Terminator that, if it gets somewhat unstable, turns into a mini nuclear bomb? Two fuel sources. Yeah, there's two of them in there, but if one gets unstable, they go off, yeah. Um, I don't know. And, and you know, for that matter, if there is a hydrogen fuel source in there, why would you lower it into a vat of molten metal while putting your thumb in the air? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> there's like a smoking crater where that building was. <laughs> All those poor iron workers. <laughs> you know, or same thing, you know, the trash compactor in the first Terminator. Sure. Um, you know, this thing's really totally mangled. But, yeah, it is a, it is the third movie in sure. the trilogy. You kind of got to cover your eyes and close your ears on those ones. I can't even remember what movie we were talking about. But we were talking about how later, when you get further down the road in sequels, they start inventing new rules and they get weirder and weirder. And that's what this feels like. It's becoming a little bit fantasy-oriented. Yeah. Where yeah, you're like, sure. okay, now they have magical you know bombs inside of them that they can set off whenever they want yeah and i'll just ask you cam if you know if a time traveling heavily damaged uh robot was holding up a blast door and yelling at you to hurry and go right now i would be under that door so friggin quick you wouldn't pause halfway through and be like you're my friend you have to look at the the robot in the in the face and be like yeah, thank you. I just, I just want to say, uh, you know, you're a really great guy, and yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, everything you've done for me. You're like a father to me, yeah. and have, you know, have a conversation. I, I'd be getting through there pretty fast. Yes, one hundred percent. That sort of thing is like kind of eye rolling, especially when you compare that to, you know, the Linda Hamilton escape from the original Terminator from the which mental is... institution. <laughs> no, no, in the original Terminator, <laughs> oh, okay. where she's just crawling frantically, you know, to get away from this thing in the original Terminator. Whereas, like, Nick Stahl doesn't seem that frantic. No, he seems pretty chilled out. No one really seems that scared of the Terminatrix. Maybe that's part of the problem, too. They always run from it because they know they're supposed to. But they don't seem... You know, you don't really sense that primal terror that you see in the first two movies. Yeah, and I think... I know I mentioned at the start of the episode. um, I think part of that is, you know, this movie does try and use humor uh similar to you know what they did in terminator 2 yeah but where they use the humor is almost always in in what i think otherwise uh could be a pretty tense scene yeah were there any cases that really stood out to you as lame well i mean there is the uh i mean and we've talked about this in some of our podcasts before on on schwarzenegger's later movies or at least some of his later movies yeah I do get kind of tired of just repeating old lines over and over again. I don't mind a little throwback here and there, but where she, you know, he throws the Terminatrix down the elevator shaft. Yeah. And he says, "Oh, she'll be back." Yeah. All right, and and then later in the movie, he lands the helicopter, 
and you think, oh, there's going to be the big fight, and he says, I'm back. And it, and it yeah. takes it away, I think, from a sci-fi suspense movie right. and into kind of a Fast and the Furious 8 uh, action out-of-control movie, right? Which is funny because in that one they have the remote-controlled cars just like in this one. Yeah, I know. That's why I mentioned <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, no knock against a movie of that type uh, doing that kind of thing. You know, the, the one-liners interspersed with cartoonish action. Sure. But if you're taking the Terminator franchise... I think you got to have a level of tension there. I agree. And especially if you have your heroes uh, really not being particularly good at stopping the actual Terminator that's after you. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think actually some of the humor really works incredibly well. Like Terminator 2 level where like you have, I think they get a lot of humor out of that sliding window in the truck. Yes. Where Arnold will like pop through and be like, John Connor is the you know leader of the resistance and then just like slams the, do- the window shut. <laughs> yeah. Like there's moments like that that are really funny. Like you don't have to go that extra step into goofy town. Like there is the, you know, the famous moment where Arnold, you know, has taken clothes from a male stripper at another biker bar, like rowdy country bar. Yes. <laughs> he always winds up at those country bars. But um, <laughs> I guess they couldn't come up with another way for him to get those clothes. But, uh, you know... The moment itself is kind of like, oh, this is a little bit like parody. And then he walks out and puts on the star sunglasses. And you're like, oh, that's too much. I know what you mean. You know, I don't I don't think it would have been a bad idea because it kind of works into the story in that you, you want the Terminator to look like the same Terminator that he had feelings towards as a young boy. Yeah. And so, you know, he puts on, he's a robot, he puts on the star sunglasses, he realizes... They don't. He doesn't look the same, so he takes them off. Yeah, Th- that kind of thing. But I mean, this is the introduction of the Terminator in this yeah. movie, and it just sets a tone. So here's a goofball. Yeah, it, it sets a tone for the movie that it, I think, kind of tries to catch up to for for the rest of the film. Well, I would argue in the in Terminator Two, while the the T eight hundred is their quote unquote friend, he's very dangerous seeming. I don't think there's a moment where you go, this thing is, like, harmless. You know, whereas this one, the Terminator doesn't seem that scary. Like, he doesn't seem like this unstoppable force you have with you. Mm -hmm. You know, he's always giving out exposition. He seems to be the one in charge all the time. But he's also goofing around and making, like, kind of jokey comments. And it's like, oh, like, I felt like they humanized him almost too much in this one. Which is funny because I, w- I was reading a little bit about the production of this, and apparently they wanted to they wanted to take the the humanity away from him that was given to him in Terminator Two, and make really him, make him more robotic. Yeah. Did you feel like he was more robotic? No, I didn't. I, I felt exactly the same way you did. That a little too funny and cute. Well, and he does things. You know, I referenced it earlier. Like this Terminator is a spoiler phobe who waits until the crucial moments to to give information. You know, like, he doesn't say up front, like, that Kate Brewster is his wife. You know, but he waits for things like this. Or, or and... that Kate Brewster is the one authorized to give him commands. Yeah, like, why is he doing this? It doesn't make any sense. It's only for, you know, dramatic punches throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, for your major reveals. And it's like, I didn't feel that sort of awkwardness or tension between the, the plot and the Terminator's actions in the previous Terminator movies. Right. And that might be a... a... 
a direction thing, right? I mean, that might be the difference there between having a Mostow instead of a Cameron. It's true. I think Mostow is overall pretty good. Yeah, so do I. But he has some moments that are weird. Like, you and I commented that there's a lot of weird uh, slow motion shots in this movie. <laughs> I think it was an early 2000s thing. I, th- I, I kind of yeah. think that if memory serves me and I were to go and watch the complete 2000 to 2005 Hollywood cinema canon. I bet you'd see a lot of slow motion. Yeah, and it's it's worth noting. You know, we're talking about you know some of the dialogue or the humor that's not working. But the writers of this movie, there's two of them: John Brancato and Michael Ferris. Uh, these were guys who have real connections to Jonathan Mostow. Like mm-hmm. they didn't work with him initially. They had their own stuff. They did like the Sandra Bullock movie, The Net, another movie about technology gone awry. Uh, they did the Michael Douglas movie, The Game. They did Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, like, after they work with Mostow here, they wind up writing Surrogates and Hunter's Prayer for him as well. Um, and I think, you know, that maybe they weren't the perfect guys for this. And they end up writing Terminator Salvation as well. So I'm actually interested when we revisit that one to see if I feel like they get it. Oh, okay. A little better. I actually, didn't, I actually didn't know Salvation of the same writers. Yeah, yeah. So I am very curious just to track their progress because I feel like at this point they don't quite have it, and I don't know how much prep they had. I I feel like this could have been a project too that had more writers than we know about. Although these guys were brought in to do a rewrite on the original script by. Uh, Teddy Serafian. I, yeah, ho- I hope I'm saying that right. Teddy Serafian, yeah. He had a story credit. And he wrote uh, Tank Girl and the Christopher Lambert opus, The Road Killers. <laughs> yeah, so who knows? I mean, between uh, between the director and obviously Cameron was uh, doing the script and the screenplay as well for, or at least working with other people to do the screenplay for the other Terminator movies. Yeah. Um, you got to wonder how, how it would be different. And I, I got to think that those little things that, that really make the difference between a, you know, a pretty good action blockbuster and, um, and a, you know, memorable library of Congress <laughs> action film like Terminator two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of the difference. It, you know, you, you go from a, a solid, you know, an 82% film to a, uh, 99% film. Right. And, you know, James Cameron is able to make movies at his own pace. You know, James Cameron develops his projects for a long time. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, 20th Century Fox gives him pretty much free reign to be like, you know what, get back to us when you're ready to make it. Whereas, my guess is this movie was on a fast track. Well, it, it's funny you mention that because I know that that was one of the issues, um, or at least apparently it was, um, you know, if the internet is to be believed. Sure. That and it always is. It always is. Yeah. The little green men in the internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that James Cameron, um, one of the hesitations that 20th Century Fox, one of the things that hung up getting James Cameron on board for Terminator 3 was the problems that Titanic had in its post-production and, and how sure. far over budget it went. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. One thing, you know, we were talking about the writers and the storytelling and maybe being a little wonky. One thing I will not hold against them, though, is the Terminator time travel logic, which I think is so ridiculous, but I'm totally willing to give it a pass. Yeah, it's definitely uh, like the kind of time travel script that you would find 
you know, left behind on a plane, right? <laughs> it's it's not it doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't because if you're sending robots, you know, robots from the future to the past to kill this person, obviously they failed because the robots still exist, and that loop is just <laughs> you can't overcome that. Even James Cameron, you know, <laughs> yeah, was dealing with that. Oh, but... speaking of the time travel, I did want to make sure I mentioned it. I thought one of the coolest scenes in the, in this movie was actually finally showing the time travel sphere. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. As, as they come through, yeah. uh, come from the future. I have a question for you, though, about the time travel in this movie, or at least an element of the Terminator's mission or the Terminatrix's mission. Um, part of the mission is to hunt down John Connor's lieutenants, correct? Yes. Which she does. She yes. guns down several, like, teenagers in this movie. Yeah, yeah working at fast food drive-ins yeah. and the like. That would not happen now. There's no way you'd have a movie of her going around gunning down teenagers. Well, I got an R rating. Yeah, but this is 2003. Different world. I don't think you'd do that now. Yeah, you're probably right. But I feel like this raises questions. Because we've heard in the past, you know, that like John Connor is so important. Kate Brewster is so important. Are we to say that these lieutenants were not at all important? They're not as important. No, it seems like they were not important at all. Because nothing changed. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we find, we find out in Salvation, I guess. Yeah. You know, if Jose, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, His name was Jose, the, the first guy, right? In yeah. The, in so, fast food place? so if Jose Barrera, former fast food clerk, <laughs> maybe maybe he stopped Skynet at some point, but uh, we'll have to rewatch Salvation and find out. Well, let's seg into Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. And we like to kind of leave him to the end, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, this one we get the reveal that the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator killed John Connor. What did you think of this reveal? Oh, that was a nice little twist. Good yeah. little... It was kind of a little bit of a throwaway line in the movie, but it didn't really have any consequence at all. But, you know, if... if... If you're going to throw something that lacks consequence in, it better be a good one, and that's a nice little hook. Is it canon? Uh, I don't know what's canon and what's not. Yeah. I guess nothing in this movie's canon now yeah. that they're making another one. That's true enough. Um, so, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger returning. How did you feel about Arnold uh, this time? I mean, for a 56-year-old guy, he sure... No kidding. He sure looked good. There yeah. must have been some touch-ups. Who knows? I mean, he, he apparently was uh, hitting the gym pretty hard before this movie. And I guess if anyone knows how to sculpt a body, it's going to be Arnold. My God. That's incredible. Because, yeah, I mean, you look at a lot of the, you know, the aging tough guys. There's a lot of them in movies. They don't look this good. Like, Arnold looks pretty young in this movie. Mm -hmm. He does not look like he's approaching 60. And, I mean, wow. Because you think about it, Terminator... Well, maybe it's an advantage that Terminator 2 came out when he was in his 40s. So it's like your age from your 40s to your 50s, yeah, at least in his case, was not super drastic. Yeah. Whereas had he played the Terminator for the last time when he was in his 20s or thir early 30s, maybe then it would be noticeable. But at 56, he looks pretty close to Terminator 2. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, as far as his actual acting goes... Um, Talk to the hand. Again, it's there's some unfortunate lines I think yeah. in the film, but that's well, the most unfortunate, right? Talk to the hand. I kind of, I thought that was kind of funny. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that funny. <laughs> um, but the lines that he does have, I think he delivers with his classic 
flair. Yeah. He's not too... He's wooden enough without being too wooden. Right. And he does he does a good job. I mean, he, he kind of carries this movie, if anyone does. I mean, the Terminator, you know, that's a role he can do in his sleep. And he's not sleeping in this movie. He's still trying. So, I mean... It's just fun seeing him walk around in the, you know, the outfit, firing all the guns and battling an evil Terminator. Like, it's just fun to watch. It's the sort of thing that's very cheap entertainment. Well, this was not a cheap movie, but just putting him in that outfit. <laughs> and he was not cheap. And he was not cheap either. <laughs> Scrap what I said about cheap entertainment. <laughs> it's just entertainment to me to see him in that outfit facing off against another Terminator. And, uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, to the level of his past, you know, turns in the role? No. But it's just like a welcome presence to see. And like, okay, let's say Arnold walks away. He's like, I don't want to do Terminator 3 without James Cameron. Does this movie happen? I gotta think that some version of Terminator happens at some point. It's just too valuable a property yeah. to have it, you know, be limited to Criterion DVD releases <laughs> for all time. Um, There's no way they would have just put this movie, though, on, you know, Nick Stahl, Claire Danes, and like a new actor as the Terminator. They might have. You think so? They might have. I mean, it, in it, 2003, who would they have cast? Vin Diesel? Vin Diesel was in talk, actually, apparently, to play the, the TX. Would that have been better? I don't know if it would have been. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love Vin Diesel. I think he's great, but. Uh, I like that he just seems to be out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes him very entertaining. Yeah. But, um,. I don't know. It's it's tough to know. I mean, this movie was in development hell for so long. Yeah. For so many reasons. Like, the rights of the movie, Cameron's on, Cameron's not on, Schwarzenegger's on, Schwarzenegger's not on. That you gotta wonder how long this this movie could be in, in development hell for. We might still be waiting for a Terminator 3. <laughs> when you watch this movie and you see, you know, Arnold do his farewell at the end, which... Let's be honest, not as good as his farewell in Terminator 2 by any stretch of the imagination. No. Not even close. But when this one ends, do you feel like that should probably be the last time we see him? Yeah, you kind of feel like, you know, uh, well, a cameo wasn't bad. I actually thought, you know, I mean, we'll get to it in Salvation. Yeah. The little cameo was fine. Um, but having Arnold as a Terminator starring vehicle... Uh, you feel like it's not happening. You feel like the next movie, if they make one, is um, Nick Stahl and Claire Danes in the future, uh, maybe fighting the... Uh, T1s? Yeah, no, all the <laughs> T-800 robots. Sure. Um, or, or some other actor. That would have been a cool movie, actually, to see a sequel to this Terminator 3, where you have Nick Stahl and Claire Danes in the future battling, like, multiple Arnolds. Yeah, or... It's something different, at least. Yeah, or hold up in this old war bunker that they're in at the end. I actually thought the ending in this movie was pretty good. I remember being absolutely shocked by this ending when I saw it in theaters. Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone saw this coming. Like, that this ending was so, like, wow. Like, so, like, wild. And I remember, for some reason, there was two movies that were really fresh in my mind when I was seeing Terminator 3. And that was um, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes and the um, and uh, Jurassic Park 3. Which were two sequels, basically. Planet of the Apes, kind of a you know reboot call or whatever you want to call it, but reboot. But two movies that are classics and beloved by me. And they both really dropped the ball badly. Like the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes is terrible and really boring. Jurassic Park 3 is just... It's a B-movie, kind of like Terminator 3 is, but it's really like half-assed. Mm -hmm. 
but this one had impact to it. Like, you could say a lot of it is silly or a lot of it's just action for the sake of action and not a whole lot of story. But the ending had genuine consequences and it left me with something to think about and talk about when the movie was over. Yeah, the ending had some heft. It was it was a little bit of a shame, actually, that they didn't keep some of that heft and, and put it throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it would have made a better movie. Because um, the ending of this movie, while maybe not as strong, uh, had the same kind of uh, impact as, say, like the bomb scene from Terminator 2, where yeah. Linda Hamilton's holding onto the fence and the right. play- playground gets blown away. You're like, holy, this is heavy stuff. Did you buy John Connor's uh, hero moment where he realizes he's a leader? I did, actually. Did I, you? Okay. I, I thought, the, you know, I thought it's been drilled into us enough times that John Connor is the leader of the resistance. I'm not going to doubt it when he picks up and says, I'm the leader here. Sure. <laughs> like, um, no, no, kid, can um, you put your dad on? <laughs> I, I'm not going to be like, no, John has to do something truly great before I accept him as being in charge. Random point about uh, John Connor. There's this ongoing joke, I guess, with Kate Brewster about how they were in, well, whose basement was it? Uh, Kripke's. Kripke's basement. And like, he has no memory of this. And he's like, that was so long ago. But it's like in 10 years. I don't know. Maybe I just have a way better memory than John Connor, but I feel like I'd remember such an incident. Well, I don't know. If you've lived the life of John Connor. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I, you know, making it out in a basement here and there it doesn't really compare to uh, uh, being trained in explosives by uh, Honduran paramilitaries. or I guess that's true. Yeah. Or whatever he's been doing with Fair his enough. Mom. Fair enough. And whatever pills he was taking when he's, uh, you know, off the grid. <laughs> Breaking into vet offices. Yeah, okay. I guess I'll buy it. But kind of tying it back to Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, the relationship between John Connor and the Terminator is so, so strong. It's this type of relationship you see other movies try to replicate to, you know, dwindling, you know, returns. Like, I just went and saw Bumblebee, the latest Transformers movie. And, like, it's better than the previous Transformers movies. But, like, it's trying to replicate kind of that same relationship nowhere near as well as terminator 2 right and like you know i don't know that this movie ever establishes a relationship no it doesn't really and it doesn't even really capitalize on the relationship that's already there from terminator 2 no like you get little bits where they're trying to acknowledge that you know john connor says something like i'm gonna have to train you all over again but he doesn't really seem that chummy chummy with uh this terminator no and that's maybe Maybe this movie would have been a little more interesting if they spent a little bit more time uh, going into John Connor's PTSD and, yeah. you know, his total lack of a father figure except for the Terminator. Yeah, which he references and he says, me- that's pathetic. He mentions it and then they don't go into it again. Like, I feel like John Connor, when he was, you know, 10 years earlier, when he was played by Edward Furlong, he had an emotional connection to that Terminator. Like, it meant something to him. A lot. Mm-hmm. And, like... I can't say that Nick Stahl seems that emotionally touched by this Terminator whatsoever. No, he's surprised yeah. that he's there. But then he doesn't really seem to be that worried about him one way or another. He's unhappy when he gets picked up by his throat. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> uh, I, know what you're, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's it, Maybe that's something you know that holds this movie back, is it just doesn't have the time for those types of relationships and moments. And to be fair, it's also about half an hour shorter than Terminator 2 as well. Yeah. So the last thing that we should do here, uh, maybe before we wrap it up, Cam, is one of the 
things that we like to do is we try and spot Sven Oli Thorson. We looked. <laughs> we looked. Uh, we read the credits. We read the cast. The stunts. <laughs> the stunts. Uh, he, he's not in this one, folks. But Chris Hardwick is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good bit here. <laughs> We're going to keep people coming back for more. <laughs> okay, so final thoughts on Terminator 3. Well, it's funny. One of the things that I remarked on when I was listening to our uh, Terminator 2 podcast because believe it or not we do actually listen to our own podcast just as a means of quality control not sure i just don't just like hearing the sound of my own voice although there's no quality and we can't control it although it does sing a beautiful lullaby (laughs) um but one of the things i I noticed is we made the sound a lot when we were talking about terminator 2 did we really (laughs) I don't know what we were doing. Okay. But we would say, or something similar, we'd say, when the uh, cryogenic truck exploded, oh my god. Well, I understand why then. That makes complete sense in context. <laughs> or something like that. You know, we, we would say something and we were very excited. Sure. Go back, you know, you listen to the Terminator, the original Terminator podcast. Yep. Um, we talked a lot about how suspenseful and how intense the movie is. Right. And in this podcast, I mean, we'll, we'll have to give it a listen. But I feel like we've talked about the movie. Yeah. We've said we enjoyed it. Yeah. But there's nothing really that's kind of grabbed me. Right. Um, you know, beyond the fact that it's a competent, well-made action movie with Schwarzenegger in it. And, yeah. And so it's enjoyable. But I don't know if it's really that memorable except for a couple of the scenes and a couple of the sure. action set pieces. Well, it doesn't feel essential. Yeah, maybe that's the word. It's, you know, it's a, it's a fun movie, but you didn't need it. Like, had Terminator 3 never existed, we would have been just fine. It kind of reminds me, uh, I'm a big Jaws fan. The original Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. But you watch Jaws 2. Well, Schwarzenegger wasn't in that. I know he wasn't. But <laughs> he is in my head, though. Um, but, you know, you watch Jaws 2. That'd be a good movie. <laughs> Jaws 2 is... Good. It's not great, but it does some things really well. It has some good performances. Uh, Roy Scheider's really good in it. But it feels like, what if Jaws had been made by someone who wasn't a genius? And that's what Terminator 3 feels like. It's like, what happens if you made a Terminator movie without someone who's a genius at the helm? Yeah. And, you know, you get a totally functional, fun, often effective action movie. You know, it steps wrong sometimes. It's not always perfect, but... It delivers, you know, modest thrills. And that's kind of the way I feel about it. Same as I do with Jaws 2. You know, and I've seen Jaws 2 many times, and I've seen Terminator 3 many times. How do you feel about Jaws 3? Ooh. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to Genesis, maybe. <laughs> yeah, or I feel Jaws like, 4. I feel like even uh, Salvation is like an unfair comparison to like Jaws 3 or 4. <laughs> so I feel like that might be Genesis. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so that wraps us up for Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. A subtitle that I've never really liked. Yeah, it's it's not great. No, it's actually... A, it's a little wordy. Before we wrap up, actually, I should want to say, I do not like the score for this movie. You know, it's funny. I actually had made a note as well. Um, Marco Beltrami does the score for this movie. Yeah, with with the usual... Uh, I, I don't even know what it's called. The the Brad Fidel's yeah. um, main score is in there as yeah. well. But yeah, the soundtrack didn't do anything to add any tension to the movie. Didn't no. really do anything to add any... 
um, action. And it's not like Marco Boltrami's uh, a new kid on the block. He's a very no. very competent composer. I think he's got a couple Academy Awards under his belt. He's, yeah, really talented. But yeah, you compare this to Brad Fidel's score, not even close. Yeah, I know. I agree 100%. So that wraps us up for Terminator 3. Now, what are we doing next time, Tony? Next time, we're going all the way back to 1986's Raw Deal, which is a film that I haven't watched in quite some time. I don't know about you. It's been a long, long, long time. Yeah, I'm... So long, I have almost no memories. I'm looking forward to revisiting it. If you've been out there listening to our episodes uh, (laughs) and you haven't seen Raw Deal recently, pick it up, rent it, download it, uh... Do what you got to do and, and watch it so you can join us on our next podcast. For sure. And also, if you have a sec, now that it's the wonderful new year, you know, leave a review for us on your iTunes, your Outcast, your Stitcher, whatever, you know, platform you're listening to your podcast on. That would do us great wonders. And it's the only way to battle the machines. It keeps the millions of dollars rolling in. That's right. Exactly. Okay, so you can also contact us at arnigenpod at gmail.com or find us at arnigenpod on Twitter. You can also find us at the source arnigen.com. Mm-hmm. You can find me, Tony G, just like it sounds, Tony G at arnigen.com. You can find me at Cam V is in very iffy on Arnold Terminator catching a bullet in his mouth, Smith. <laughs> Okay, so we'll be back with Raw Deal. Deal.